This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you who are watching at this time, and especially if this may be your first time to view Getting to Know Your Bible. We want to encourage you to stay tuned today as we're going to be discussing a very interesting topic from the Bible entitled, There's Water in the Well. We're going to be talking about a very beautiful conversation Jesus had with a woman at a well. I hope that you will stay tuned. We appreciate those of you who are watching that watch every time we come on the air. We have many of you who do that. Thank you so very much. Now today on Getting to Know Your Bible, we're offering a free Bible correspondence course. And I'd like to emphasize that this course is free. It is absolutely free of charge. We want you to have it. Thousands of people all over the world are already studying this Bible course. We have students in all 50 states of the United States, many foreign countries. We want you to have this Bible course in order that you might know more about the course, know how to receive the course. We want to pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I'd like to read now in John chapter 4, and I'm going to read the first six verses uh, out of the fourth chapter. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had, had heard that Jesus had uh, made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. And then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now what we're going to be studying today is a very familiar and beautiful conversation that Jesus had with a woman at Jacob's well. The next verse says, Then cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Back in the third chapter of John, Jesus had just had a conversation with a man by the name of Nicodemus. This was a man who came to Jesus, and, and he said to Jesus, We know that you're uh, a man from God, because no man can do the miracles you're doing unless God is with him. And Jesus said, Unless... A man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. And Nicodemus asked, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, except a man be born 
of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. And, and in verse 7 he said, you must be born again. So he had this conversation with Nicodemus and now he is confronted with a woman from Samaria. And she came to draw water. I want you to think about the contrast between these two people, Nicodemus and this woman. You see, one was a Jew, that was Nicodemus. The other was a Samaritan. One was a woman and one was a man. Nicodemus was a religious leader. The woman was an adulteress. One was a very learned person. And one was not of the highest class. One was an outcast. One was a person of wealth and one was poor. And one was recognized as a teacher and one had no clue about what was going on. But it was to this woman that Jesus revealed himself to be the Messiah. Why didn't Jesus do that in Jerusalem? Why, why did he reveal himself as the Messiah to some obscure, adulterous woman? And I believe the answer is obvious. To show that the gospel is for the whole world. Jesus in talking to this woman, established some guidelines for leading men to the Savior. The first thing that we noticed in this story is the way. That's in verse 4. It simply says he must needs go through Samaria. You go through Samaria, he, he left Judea for Galilee to avoid a popularity contest. There in verses 1 through 3. But the, the way that Jesus went was not the preferred route, but it was a divine necessity. He must needs go through Samaria. You see, souls were at stake. Going through Samaria was not the most direct route. He went out of his way. And there are times that we must go out of our way to lead someone to Jesus. So there is the way. Then there's the well, notice verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there. Jacob bought land at Sychar, but built a well there. This is not mentioned in the Old Testament, but the authenticity of this being Jacob's well is undisputed by all people, by Samaritans, Muslims, Christians, Jews, and it's thousands, hundreds and hundreds of years old. And Jesus now is weary. And he came about the sixth hour. And Jesus was at Jacob's well. And he sat on the well. And this woman came to the well to draw water. Notice in the seventh verse something about the woman. She came to draw water and Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. This woman was a social outcast. And yet Jesus asked of this woman, would you give me something to drink? You see, Jesus was no respecter of persons. He broke down social barriers. He broke down racial barriers. There was a tradition 
among the Jews that there would be no hospitality extended to a Samaritan or received from a Samaritan. But Jesus ignored the barrier. And he asked this woman, would you give me something to drink? Are we ever guilty of erecting barriers? Are we guilty of erecting social barriers and racial barriers? We need to understand that when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, Jesus removed all barriers between people. And when Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.14 that he broke down the middle wall of petition between us, having abolished in his flesh the law of commandments contained in ordinances, or to make of himself of twain, that is of two, of two, one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, by the cross having slain the enmity thereby. When Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, he took all the barriers out of the way. Here he's ignoring the barriers between people. You see, all people need the gospel. And God is not a respecter of persons. Sometimes we are guilty of showing partiality towards certain ones. Maybe because of what they have or don't have because of the way they look, because of the way that they're dressed, we may show partiality. But our God is not a God of partiality. And when Peter came to the house of Cornelius in the 10th chapter of Acts, he said, I perceive of a truth that God is no respect of persons, but every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So there was the, the water. In verse 10, notice, Jesus said to this woman, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give it a drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Now Jesus asked this woman, Give me something to drink. And she said, How is it that you being a Jew would ask me for something to drink? Because I'm a Samaritan. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And then Jesus offers this woman something to drink. Of course, he's offering her everlasting life, water for her dying soul. She thought it was physical. Notice verses 11 and 12. Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. The well is deep. For whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well? and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. So she thought in terms of physical water. But this was water to quench a parched soul. Jesus said in verse 13, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. That is the water in Jacob's well. But notice verse 14. Whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into ever, 
everlasting life. In every human being, there is a thirst for God. I believe that when God made us, He made us that way. To have a desire and a thirst and a hunger for God. You remember Jesus said, Blessed are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Over in Psalms, the 42nd chapter, the psalmist made some observations about our attitude about God that I think is worthy of our thought. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so, my, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Now listen to verse 2. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night when they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude, I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept holy day. Notice again verse 2, My soul thirsteth for God. And my friend, there is absolutely nothing or there is no one that can take God's place in your life. That's the water that's in the well. And Jesus is offering this woman everlasting life. He offers that to all people even today. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, let him that is a thirst come, whosoever will, let him drink of the water of life freely. Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 17. But then there was the wrong in this woman's life. Notice verses, verse 16. Jesus said to this woman, Go call your husband and, and come back. Come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. In whom he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that, in that sayest thou truly. In other words, you told the truth. Jesus was making this woman face reality. She was facing up to reality. The woman said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus' response was, you're right, you don't have a husband. You don't have a husband. Because you've had five husbands and the one you're living with now is not biblically your husband. In the sight of God, he's not your husband. You see, Jesus knew all about this woman. Just like he knows all there is to know about us. He knows about you. He knows about me. There isn't anything about me he doesn't know. There isn't anything about you that he doesn't know. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Not only does he see the bad things, he sees the good things. 
He knows all there is to know about us, and we need to see ourselves as sinners in the sight of God. That's what brought the prodigal son home. In Luke chapter 15, he told his father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. We have to see ourselves as we really are in the sight of God. I think that's the reason many people have no thirst for God. They do not see themselves in need of that everlasting life or of that water of life. We need to be like the man in Luke 18 and 13 who said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. So there was the wrong. This woman was sinner. She was wrong. She needed Jesus and she needed everlasting life. But then there is the worship in the story. Notice verse 20 and following. This woman said in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And our fathers worship in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. See, there's some confusion. The woman said, now you're a prophet, and our fathers worship in in this mountain. That is in Samaria. And you say that it's in Jerusalem is where people ought to worship. Now Jesus tries to clear up the confusion. and He clarifies the issue by saying in verse 21, there's a time coming you won't worship in Jerusalem nor in this mountain. And he said, you, you just don't understand. In verse 20, he, th- he said, in verse 23, the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. He seeks what? He seeks people who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. He is seeking true worshipers. And then in verse 24, he says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There's such a thing then as true worship. And if there's such a thing as true worship, there's such a thing as false worship. To give an illustration of false worship in the Old Testament, There's Nadab and Abihu in the 10th chapter of Leviticus. And it is said that they offered strange fire on the altar. One translation of this passage says, unauthorized fire. In other words, they they offered that which God had not authorized or specified. And as a result, their worship was not true worship, but false worship. God is the object of our worship. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 10, Jesus said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. God is the object of our worship. 
We're living in a time where many worship services have been turned into nothing more than, than entertainment to, to make the people pleased, to make them happy, to entertain them. But, but it's not about entertaining ourselves. Worship is not about the worshiper. Worship is about God. And we need to stop and ask ourselves the question, is God pleased with my worship? Is God pleased with it? So this is what Jesus is talking about here in John chapter 4 to this woman at Jacob's well about true worship, true worship. She had been worshiping in the mountain of Samaria, and that is in Samaria. And Jesus said, there's a time coming you won't worship. The place of worship will not be the, the important thing. It will be what is in the heart. God is a spirit. God wants true worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth. But then also observe the witness in verse 29. In verse 29, uh, we, we notice that, that uh, Jesus Christ uh, is suspected to be the Son of God by this woman. And she said, come and see a man that told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? She suspects it. While the woman left her water pot and she ran and, and she told uh, uh, the people in the city, this man told me everything that I ever did. He knows all there is to know about me. And you know that had a tremendous impact on the people. In verse 39, the Bible says that many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. He told me all things I ever did. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tear with him, and he abode there two days. It had a tremendous impact upon this city. And verse 41 says, Many more believed, because of his own word. And so this is having an impact on the city. And I want you to notice what Jesus says in the 34th and the 35th verses of this chapter. Because he's talking about the opportunity, the white field. He said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they're white all ready to harvest. There, there are some surprises, no doubt, that this woman had. Probably she was surprised that he spoke to her. Since he was a Jew, she was a Samaritan. She, she was surprised that he knew all about her. And another thing, the people were surprised at her report. Can you imagine their surprise? Then the disciples were surprised that, that he wasn't hungry 
And, and then there was the surprise that the harvest was ready. The harvest of souls was ready. The world today is ready for harvest. It is an urgent harvest. As a result of Jesus talking to this woman, there were many that believe as we look in verses 39 to 42. And it was on, in the city of Jerusalem the day of Pentecost at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 that Jesus said, Ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The gospel was carried into Samaria by an evangelist by the name of Philip in Acts chapter 8. He went down to Samaria and he preached Christ to them. And in verse 12, the Bible says, When they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So the gospel was carried to Samaria. It just seems to me here in John chapter 4 that Jesus was paving the way for the living water to be carried to the people of Samaria by Philip the evangelist. We can have that living water today. It is available. We believe in Jesus. John 8, 24. We repent of our sin, Luke 13, 3. We confess faith in Jesus, Matthew 10, 32, 33. And we are to be baptized because Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Would you accept that living water? It is forever and ever. It's everlasting water. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He also said, If you love me, keep my commandments. I want to urge you to drink of that water of life freely. Obey Jesus today. And the closing moments, may I give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And also may I urge you to pick up the telephone right now and call the number that you have seen on the screen and request the free Bible correspondence course. You'll learn more about this water of life we're talking about. We want you to have it free of charge. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, 
Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles. <laughs>